coming to you from the KUCI headquarters in sunny Irvine, California. It's half past... <sighs> Darn it, the power's out. I knew it was a bad idea to record this intro on such a dark and stormy night, which against all scientific reasoning is localized exclusively over the KUCI headquarters. Hey, uh, Glenn? You in here? Paxton, there you are. Do you know what happened to the power? No idea. I was gonna ask you the same thing. Well, that's gonna be a big problem. The band and I certainly aren't gonna be able to record the show's intro in pitch darkness. Hey, no problem. The switch to the backup generator is on the other side of this room. I just gotta get over there and flip it and we can get this show back on the road. Okay, well, do you want to go find, like, a flashlight or a match or something first? You don't want to stumble over the band or break any instruments. Nonsense, Glenn. I know this studio like the back of my- Jeez, oh, sorry, sorry, I- I- Oh, oh hang on, I- Jeez. Oh. <sighs> Be a little more careful, guys. I think someone jabbed me with a cello bow. Alright, hang on. I think the switch to the backup generator should be somewhere around here. All good over there, Glenn? Oh, Glenn. Ah, here it is. Ah, much better, don't you think, Glenn? G Glenn? Glenn, if this is some kind of prank, it isn't. Ah, ah, yeah! Oh my God! This hideous Patrick Nagel art up on the wall. What is this, a nail salon in 1992? Jeez, let me take that down. Ah, there, much better. Wait, oh my bigger god! Someone's murdered Glenn! Ba 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 ba, who could have done such a thing? The lights were only out for a minute. Unless. someone in this very studio. is a murderer! Everyone here is a suspect, including all your favorite half-past-five regulars, like Colonel Waldorf. Well, I do declare that is simply a preposterous and baseless accusation that you are making right now, son. Glenn and I fought side by side together in the Great War. I would never turn my back on a brother-in-arms. Well, I should hope so. But dark and stormy nights like this one tend to make people act a little... irrational, Colonel. Even wealthy era socialites with the world in the palm of their hand. Isn't that right, Madame Bourguignon? <gasps> How could you possibly insinuate such a thing? Glenn was to be my date to the Met Gala this year. What possible motivation would I have in killing this man? I don't know. It'd take a real genius to get to the bottom of that mystery. Geniuses like... Professor Footenlocker! What? Why, that's not only implausible, it's both improbable and impossible. Glenn and I were well on the way to developing a cure for lupus. We would have been contenders for the Nobel. Oh, sure, you two had prospects. But what about those here who had everything to lose? Maybe Glenn knew something about them they didn't want leaking to the public. So they snuffed him out. Isn't that right, 
Senator Martin Chatham. Listen, son, I do not appreciate being made the victim of this baseless and unprecedented public smear campaign. For your information, I had been planning on asking Glenn to be my top campaign strategist for my re-election bid next year. Glenn was a patriot's patriot, and by gum if I would ever wish anything but a happy and fulfilling life for the man and his family instead of this terrible tragedy which has befallen them. Well, Senator, you may be a man with everything on the line, but what about those here who are notorious for serpentining the law? Someone with a criminal record that reads longer than war and peace. That's right, Jimmy Jackknife Sangarelli. I'm talking to you. Hey, I don't know nothing about that, capiche? Glenn was a good guy. Had nothing to do with my affairs. Guy helped me, uh, keep tabs on the local union down at the Esplanade in Huntington, if you know what I mean. Good kid. Believe me, if I wanted him rubbed out, it would have been a much cleaner job than this. Wow, Glenn really lived an extraordinary life, didn't he? Why did he spend so much time doing college radio? Huh. Well, well, if, and that's a big if, none of you did it, that could only leave one suspect. My guest tonight, Thorin Jorgensen. Boy, I really did a number on the band's instruments. Hey, sorry about that, guys. Well, at least the organ is still intact. Okay. Uh, Thorin. Thorin, so I, I have to ask, thank you for being here tonight. Always a pleasure. It is. Well, under different circumstances. Thorin, did you kill Glenn? No, I did not. I'm a pacifist. I could never hurt anyone. Mm, so you say, but uh, I, I certainly... I would I would never trust General Waldorf to, to, to kill a fly, and yet he's everyone's a suspect tonight, Thorin. I can never be too careful. Listen, the man with the name General in his name is always a man of violence. I'll... Okay. <laughs> well, well. what about Madame Bourguignon? Uh, uh, the French are never to be trusted. Well, that's a hot take. <laughs> but, <laughs> anyway, uh, you know, you raise, you raise valid points about these individuals, but uh, it also just kind of sounds like you're gaslighting me, and I'm not going to stand for it. Thorin, I'm going to pick your brain tonight. Okay. What I'm going to do is I'm going to have a casual conversation with you uh, as though... My co-host were not murdered tonight, and we're just going to talk about horror movies and video games, and I'll see what your uh, what your proclivities and tastes are in those fields, and then by by getting a sense of that, perhaps I'll be able to get a sense of your motives. But I feel like I'm already at a disadvantage because horror is my favorite genre in all capacities. So you are a uh, uh, something of a of a golden boy on this show. <laughs> you now have the most appearances out of any of my guests. Good. I'm just trying to like get up there until I usurp you. You, you know what? You're you're well on track. Out of the what I think 20 episodes I've done of this show, you've been on three of them. Oh, so, so almost a quarter of the way there. You're getting there. I I'm uh, I am sweating. The nape of my neck is 
damper than all heck. So we were talking about this yesterday. You were saying that uh, uh, you believe that where I'm in agreement with you is that the 70s represented the golden age of horror, and we are now sort of entering a a second golden age. Yeah, I, I call it the renaissance of horror. Yeah. That's that's my opinion. The, the current horror um, field, especially in relation to the indie genre, is just absolutely thriving. Uh, you just have to look at kind of the recent films that I feel like what really kickstarted it was the Babadook uh, back in like, what was that? 2015, 14, 2014. Think, yeah. Yeah. Cause you had that kind of as the kickoff. And then right after that, you have the success of it follows, which was an outstanding horror film. And then from there, it just kind of snowballed. You have like, um, sinister, which came out before that, but, um, sinister, which was reevaluated in later years. Yeah. Kind of, it was kind of written off in the beginning. Exactly. But now it's been very much popularized, almost like a cult film. And then you also have like the initial conjuring and the universe that spawns out of that film itself. Yeah, I feel like horror is contemporarily thriving because I find myself at the theater like at least once a month to see a horror film. Yeah, I mean, you, that's definitely, I would say there's a, um, and I don't even want to be a, a contrarian to this necessarily, uh, because I do think in many instances you're right. I saw The Lighthouse last week, which you haven't seen it yet, right? I'm seeing it tomorrow on Halloween. So good. It's so good. Um, but I think that with all the good, that comes out of the the genre and again i i am mostly in agreement i do think that there is such a saturation of it right now that a lot of it particularly the franchises to come out of uh uh like james wan's uh yeah films have completely i think desensitized people a lot like i think there is a big problem right now in horror with um loud noises are scary yeah um I'll absolutely agree with that, but I don't take those films as kind of a reflection of the market. I look at the Golden Boys, kind of your your get outs, your us, your its, the ones that are reflective of kind of like social ills or like contemporary like anxieties and are put into a horror format. And they build upon that as well as things outside of just loud noise. I like that. Do you want to, do you want to do my intros now that Glenn's dead? <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe you know maybe I'll settle for that. That was that was good. I think you know I wow what a great compromise we've come <laughs> to. Uh, but no, I I I think you know it's possible. Yeah, maybe I maybe I am being too cynical about it. Because um, again, I I like a lot of horror films that are coming out right now. I think it is the genre right now that has the as far as um, wide releases or at least limited releases that are talked about in mass. It has the uh, greatest track record yeah so far what do you think it is that that kicked off this sort of new renaissance of horror that we're in currently like what what do you think this sort of cultural uh sea change was that Um, brought this about i think sinister planted the seeds and then babadook watered them and it falls made it sprout and then from there everything just kind of blossomed but i also honestly think it's a response to kind of our times uh there's a lot of social anxiety right now about the fate of this generation what could you mean uh everything's going swimmingly what are you talking about yeah (laughs) i mean you're not optimistic about your future and everyone's future no not in any way shape or form that's the real terror (laughs) you you jaded cynic everything's gonna be fine okay boomer (laughs) have you seen that (laughs) yeah of course um well i'd say like prime examples of the representation of this are get out and us um Get Out being a representation of the kind of contemporary racial divide that arose from the Trump 
like election and us being a kind of continued manifestation of that as well as like a distrust in the government that arises from it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd even say like Zombieland to an extent is also a representation of that right now. Um, the, the the new one? The yeah. Sequel? I haven't we, seen it yet. The, the opening 20 minutes, they are in the White House and they're just making a mess of it. It's very much a statement being like, yep, oh, that's, the, the yeah, government that's... has failed and we're here to just kind of kick up our shoes and mock it. So I'd say that like you also even look at like the likes of it and it takes the first one takes place in the 80s and then takes place now. And you have this kind of clash of childhood expectations versus what you're now given and how your childhood in a sense was stolen. And you now have to return as an adult and take responsibility for your actions as a kid so that others don't have to face what you did or are now facing. Hmm. So, which is good. You can make as a large allegorical claim as climate change. Yeah, that is a that is a, a weighty interpretive claim that I had not uh, heard before about the yeah. film. What what is it about? Like what I'm what I'm kind of curious about is that uh, the '70s. I think those horror films definitely were a big representation of that as well. Things like The Exorcist, things like uh, Dawn of the Dead, especially, was very on the nose. Yeah, uh, 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 societal critique. Uh, Texas Chainsaw. You know. Uh, films that i think set that same precedent and then come the 80s we got the 80s you also got this weird diversion into uh uh horror movies became all about the sequels yeah they became all about the franchises so you had like the big ones you had um nightmare on elm street friday the 13th halloween child's play to a lesser extent texas chainsaw um all of which actually started off as solid franchises. Yeah. Um, and all of which got run into the ground and corporatized. It was one that lasted for almost three decades, really, with a few exceptions here. Yeah. There. I think what happened was we got away from the normal kind of like standalone uh, kind of horror films. And a lot of the societal ills kind of faded away. People were like, oh, things are fine. I'm not as worried anymore. Um, but the bigger thing was the blockbuster the film as a capitalistic gain you have star wars uh the empire strikes back it's just this and you have like the back to the future franchise you have the emergence of franchises as blockbusters Mm -hmm. and so it becomes this no longer oh these are almost in their own way art films they are instead pieces of media in order to get a paycheck and that's when they become a genre and since horror films are already like they're one of the safest bets a studio can make exactly why not just milk this for all it's worth keep making them until people finally stop seeing this specific franchise yeah and if we we go forward in time we have the 90s which in my eyes are very dead in terms of horror films you'd scream and that was about it which is yeah my point is scream and scream itself is a satire of the horror film and the horror film franchise. I mean, the first 30 minutes of Scream 2 are an entire thesis about the horror like genre as a whole and how they talk about oh, what's expected in a sequel, how you deliver on that, and like the genre as a piece. So Scream in this weird way is kind of a palate cleanser between our two contemporary periods of horror that serves as a satirization and reflection of what we came to expect out of horror. Mm-hmm. And so then you have the indie market come up um, much later and be like, well, look at this. It's new, it's different, and it's what we used to be. But do you think, I mean, if we're, I mean, if we really want a domino effect, this conversation, you, know, you said Sinister laid that groundwork. Uh, it wasn't necessarily an indie. It wasn't an indie. But, uh, I, I mean, it had definitely a unique sort of spin, and it was the... Um, 
you know, The Ring in, what was it, 2003? Yeah. Uh, sort of set that precedent, too, of like, oh, here's an original story that we they didn't really run into the ground. They made they didn't, a couple But that's a but different thing. That's this whole topic of J-horror well, and yeah. almost like a, an American imperialization of Japanese horror and the marketing that went into that. Because mm-hmm. from Japan, we get this new flood in the early 2000s of what's called Asian extreme, which is an entire kind of like gross fetishization and like exploitation of an entire industry and genre of Asian horror films. And these films are absolute bangers, though. Like The Audition, Rings, The Grudge. R- well, not Rings. Oh, sorry. <laughs> rings <laughs> was the. The was, Ring. Was the other thing yeah. you were talking but about. But The Ring also is a trilogy, and the second one is pretty good in it, too. Is uh, it really? That yeah, also the Japanese Watts, one. Right? Oh, yeah. okay. I was going to say. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so you get these, I would say the horror in the early 2000s shifted away from America, moved to Japan, and then the U.S. brought it over and was like, oh, we're going to market this as kind of like a weird fetishization for those people that want their sick kicks. But in the same way, they're like, oh, wow, these are actually good films. Let's remake them for our like American audiences. So the early 2000s, in my opinion, belong to Japan when it comes to horror. And then the U.S. is like, oh, let's market that. Let's make that better. And then from that, you also have the foundations for this new wave of filmmakers in the horror genre from which you're going to get these contemporary ideas. Mm -hmm. And also those films that are like a representation of culture and the times. Yeah. I mean, it does get me thinking because it's also, I mean, there was such a... uh heavy reliance on reappropriating these these uh japanese films back in the tens and uh, no excuse me in the aughts really with the only exceptions uh in terms of actual being high quality being the first ring and sort of to a lesser extent the grudge which is yeah pretty good but you know it's nothing uh it's it's no the ring like ultimately but you had so many others just trying and trying and trying again and and falling flat on their face like one missed call oh or God. the uninvited yeah uh, oh terrible like what what was it do you think that first of all you had Gore Verbinski you know directing the ring of course a, ver- a very uh, accredited director attached to that um but what do you think it was that that made it almost completely impossible to translate to the West uh, in virtually every other uh, instance that they tried? I'd say two things. Um, Culture and style. Uh, Culture being a lot of these are founded in um, kind of traditional Japanese uh, folklore or um, kind of history and ideas. Like the whole like grudge and ring concept stems from a um, yokai tale about just a girl with like long black hair and is super spooky and that's almost in a lot of these it's in um, like the what is it pulse the audition it's in all of those mm-hmm. um, so it's a cultural element and um, then I would say format uh, Hollywood likes to cookie cutter get these out uh, as soon as we can while a lot of these films have this kind of almost like intrepid and entrancing style that you can't escape because they're almost like because they're shot on like that weird time period between film and full functioning 4k mm-hmm. dvd so they all have this kind of strange grain nothing is fully right so you just feel uncomfortable and uncertain when you watch it and the shots that they include there are masterworks in almost entirely b-roll 
And so from it, you just build this anxiety. Well, here in Hollywood, we're like, okay, let's get our like 2K cameras out and we'll get a coverage here and we'll get a coverage here, three point camera set up, and then we can just move on to the next scene. Well, these are very much kind of on the go. Like we're going to get the hands crawling up the, out of the TV. She's coming closer and closer. And the only one you get that kind of close to is the ring. And I'd say what saves the ring is its lighting and its thematic elements and how it incorporates those. That film is, that is a film where I remember, I think the, tone more than any individual scenes exactly except for that scene where the horse jumps off the boat which yeah. is one of which is the <laughs> some of the best unintentional comedy i think like, but still very scary too. yeah like a, a very troubling scene but there's something just so so hilarious about the absurdity of the image that i can't kind of help but laugh out of just sheer shock yeah but but yeah no it, it is that, that is a film that is so built on its tone and i think the setting of uh it's the pacific northwest that, that film yeah set, right? it's like Washington, I think it's so essential to that film's aesthetic. It's just the the green, the hard greens and grays, the downpours, the it's just so sickly. Yeah, oh, I love it. It's oh. yeah, it's the tone, it's the lighting, and that's as close as you're gonna get in the form that was similar to the uh, the Japanese horror films yeah. at the time. So, Thorin, uh, before I let you go, uh, do you have anything that you are working on right now? Uh, yeah, I'm doing my own short film for an FMS course. Um, it's called The After. And it's uh, about a guy who's recently deceased, wakes up in the afterlife and finds his uh, life is being reviewed and audited. And it's a kind of self-reflective piece that explores what happens after we die. Um, It's character-based. And hopefully you can catch it at ZotFest in the spring quarter. Uh, If not, I'll make sure to plug it on here again. And I know a bunch of other students are also working on some short films. Fantastic. Uh, I know you'll be back on this show. Uh, so <laughs> That's what I'm here for. So, so we can uh, we can elaborate more on that in the future. Uh, well, Thorin, that is all the questions I have for you, uh, for now anyway. But, but don't think you're out of the woods yet. Because I, 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 I see that sigh of relief that you're I, – I literally see the sigh emanating from your mouth hole. But uh, you're, not, you're not a free man yet. And I've got a I've got a radio station full of suspects here, and no one is leaving tonight until we get to the bottom of who killed Glenn. <sighs> Dang it! Another power outage. Hang on, let me flip the switch again. There we go, and everyone's dead. Well. I guess that rules out literally all of my suspects. But how will the show go on without the sage wisdom of Colonel Waldorf? The catty backhanded compliments of Madame Bourguignon? The brilliant scientific insight of Professor Futenlocker? The astute political commentary of Senator Chatham? The crimes of Jimmy Sangarelli without them? There is no half-past five. Hey. Hey, wait a second. Hey, you, over there. Yeah. Yeah, you, with the mask on and the bloody knife. I said come here. Now take that mask off. (gasps) Angelica Sheen? Host of Gloss every Wednesday from 10 p.m. to midnight right here at KUCI? It was you? Yeah, I did it. And you know what? I'd do it again. Oh, you monster! But I... I don't understand. How could you do such a thing? Why would you kill poor Glenn? Because you guys are loud as hell in here. 
The studios in this station are supposed to be soundproof, yet Glenn and all your weirdo knockoff Agatha Christie cronies manage to belt well beyond these foam-padded walls. Like, yeah, I get it. You've got a show to do, but so do the rest of us. And just who are these guys, anyway? Is that a live band? Well, yeah. How am I supposed to do a talk show without a full brass band? I'd... <sighs> Never mind. Paxton, just keep the noise down in here in the future, alright? Yeah, yeah, of course. N- no problem. Sorry about that. But, hey, you know, you, uh... You kind of killed seven people during my show tonight. You know, I've got half a mind to report you to the authorities. Yeah, but if I get arrested, my show gets pulled from the air. My show gets pulled from the air, then we're living in a world without a show dedicated to an inspired conglomeration of film soundtracks and the weirdest experimental music I can dig up. And who wants to live in a world like that? Hmm. Not I. Well, I'll let you off with a warning this time, but you gotta promise me, no more killing my co-hosts or guests, alright? Hey, Scout's honor. Glad to hear it. I- Hey, are your fingers crossed behind your back? Hehehe. <laughs> ah, oh, you rascal. Get out of here. Happy Halloween, everybody. Stay safe.